This is like dealing with COVID, but spread out over 20 years. Hello and welcome to another episode of Red Dot Hot Takes. My name is Hosan Leong and a very warm welcome to our guests today. First up, we have Dr. Jade Kwa. Now, she's the founder of Jade Life and Wellness as a life coach, also a pediatric emergency medicine specialist and adjunct assistant professor at NUS and Duke NUS Medical Schools. So, Jade, what is your passion? <laughs> I think it'd be accurate to say that wellness is my passion. So on the physical piece, I'm a senior consultant at the emergency department in public hospitals. Uh, my portfolio is emergency medicine for pediatrics as well as uh, trauma. Um, mm -hmm. But I also feel like other than physical wellness, there's also a mental and emotional component in everybody that's super important as well. And that's why I set up my life coaching company where I focus on clients who are not sick, not broken. They just want to reach their goal. That's like a very holistic approach as well to, to wellness, right? Thank you. Yeah. All right. Thank you for being with us today. And up next, we have Chai Yin. So the director of Citizens Adventure, and also you founded Geylang and Dakota Adventures, Back Alley Bubbers, and several other initiatives for social good, as well as assistant manager in an elder. Wow. Do you have time for yourself? <laughs> yeah. So I tell people I have three jobs uh, today. So in, in, in the day, I work in an uh, elder care center, uh, running active aging centers uh, island-wide. Uh, in the night, I do tours and on weekends as well, uh, around social issues. And that's where my heart is, uh, social issues that would also make or break the future of Singapore. Uh, so my third job is I'm a new father. So I have oh, a young 15-month-old uh, baby. Yeah, so it's really a handful. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I juggle. Yeah, I don't manage, I juggle. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think you manage to juggle, that's good. Yeah, for, for now, yeah. <laughs> and we also have with us our Minister for Health, Minister Ong Lee Kang. Thanks for being with us. Now, obviously- My you title are, is the shortest. The shortest, the yeah. Well, it's minister is quite heavy. <laughs> <laughs> um, you are here because we are tackling one of the pillars of the Forward SG exercise. Now, just to remind everyone out there as well, do you all know what the six pillars are? I know care is one of them. Care, which is what we're going to do today. Into we have build, we have equip, we unite. have unite, very important, empower, and of course, we have to steward this country as well in the right direction. So let's kick things off, ladies and gentlemen, and we're going to discuss today, are we in the pink of health or are we having the blues. So Min Ong, maybe you can start us off. Um, what is the government doing under the care pillar um, in this forward SG exercise? Care pillar. So that's broader than health. I, I like to look at um, where we are now, where we are, where we will be 10 years from now, and what will be the major changes. Some things are evergreen, right? Um, you must always take care of the poor and you must always give social assistance. You must help the disabled, so on and so forth. These are evergreen. We always have to do those. But in the next 10 years, some major things may change. And I think one major thing is aging. And there's a huge social transformation. In the history of Singapore's uh, independence, we have not seen that happen yet. This is the first time. Uh, so we, we will experience it for the first time, what it means to be a older society. Second will be as uh, our economy growth, some people are going to do very well. Some people will not be able to seize the opportunities. And so there will be wider inequality. So that I see as the second major change in the next 10 years. 
aging and inequality. Mm. And so the care pillar is about how do we address the concerns arising from these major changes. So let's talk about a little bit about the health part of the care pillar. Um, we have heard this term healthier SG mm -hmm. that's being bandied around everywhere. Um, what does that mean? I say we are aging, Yeah. right? You cannot reverse aging, but it does not mean that we must be less and less healthy, right? right. And if you look at the trends today, uh, Singapore is not in the pink of health. Yeah. If you okay. look at our annual survey of disease uh, incidents, it's getting worse, no? The sun cow, right? So the incidence rate is getting higher and higher. Yeah. Yeah. But there are things that we can do to prevent it or even reverse it for and sure. To manage it. Yeah. So therefore, we come up with this national movement and national program. Uh, we came up with the name Healthier SG. Um, there's meaning behind it uh, because I don't think we are healthy enough. And therefore, we need to be healthier. And since we are Singapore, mm. uh, so Healthier SG. So, in a way, it's more. We're trying to go into get into the mindset of preventive rather than having to treat it. So in your experience, Jade, um, wellness, you know, um, uh, getting us ready for the future in terms of health. What are your thoughts on that? Well, um, if I put my coaching hat on and with the lens of what I see uh, in the public health care, I think what it is is that we need to be accountable for our own health. That's the first thing. So having that awareness of where we are at individually as a system is very helpful. Um, and then asking ourselves, what do you want to do about it? Right. So Minister has just said that we're all going to be aging. What kind of what kind of an aging population would we like to be? We want to be a healthier aging population, right? So how do we do that? So raising, I think, the medical literacy amongst people in Singapore, mm -hmm. getting the support, right, and their resources around them, not just in the A&E when things go terribly wrong, but in the community as well, making use of primary health care, you know, making use of your family to, mm -hmm. to, to support you, to understand what's happening, you know, having, you know, having resources to be able to age in in place, right? To age at home. You know, can I'm, I ask questions? Yes. I always ask doctors questions. Uh, <laughs> first, you mentioned primary healthcare. What is primary healthcare? Right. So primary healthcare might be, for example, for the chronic illnesses, say high blood pressure, mm -hmm. uh, high sugar, and high cholesterol, right? The three big highs. Um, those would be very helpful for chronic disease management. Mm. But your GPs, your family doctors are very, very helpful for you to approach when, you know, to, to follow you through, mm -hmm. right? From cradle to grave, so to speak. So that can be quite helpful too. Um, we also have entities like the urgent care center that are coming up now. So that's something that's in between a GP and say an emergency ward. Um, so you don't necessarily have to go to the emergency department all of the time for something that's bothering you. So I think also raising the health literacy of Singaporeans so that we understand where's the right place to go to, to go, yeah. when you need help is super important. Mm. So in other words, actually in healthcare, there are many layers. Mm -hmm. Primary healthcare is the most basic layer mm -hmm. yeah, that everyone should have. Not very different from when we go through education, other than preschool, we go to primary school. Without primary school, you can't take your PSLE and you can't go to secondary school. The problem with us is that many of us ignore primary health care. Yep. Uh, so actually, when we talk about healthier SG and preventative care, it's really about strengthening primary care. Right. Yeah, to take care of the health of people. Well, you know what? Um, we're going to go straight into our hot take right now. Hot take one. And this is, aging is a silver tsunami and we'll just have to live with the consequences 
as a society. Now, up to 25% of our population is going to be over 65 by 2030. So, Min Ong, let me ask you, what can we look forward to in terms of this older aging cohort? I mean, what, 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 are the gov- what is the government putting in place? Can I just comment on the hot take? Yeah. We just have to live with the consequences yeah. or as a society. I, I agree and disagree with this statement. Mm-hmm. I think it depends on what consequences we are talking about. If we are saying that the consequences is our demographic, you know, by age will change. You, know, you have to live with it. It's a fact, mm-hmm. right? People but, will age. Yeah, burdening the healthcare system. Uh, if that is the consequence, mm-hmm. then I refuse to accept it. Okay. That I refuse to accept that just because all of us go up by one year every year and the dem- demographically our pyramid shifts and therefore we must burden ourselves with a huge disease uh, incidence and that our healthcare expenditure as a nation is just going to shoot through the roof. I think we cannot accept it. Yeah, I think old people do fall sick more often. You and I experience that. Mm-hmm. But it need not be at such high incidence. Mm-hmm. We can do something about it if we take action early enough. We can prevent, manage, even reverse such diseases. Managing it with, I mean, you know, exercise and of course with uh, medication and it's being kept under control. So is my cholesterol. But um, exactly. So being able to detect it early mm. and get down to the root of the problem has been, I think, my saving grace. Lah, you know, mm. yeah. Um, what are your thoughts, Dr. J? Well, um, I think, you know, as a life coach, I'm always asking questions, right? So when your heart takes this, we'll just have to live with the consequences of society. I think my question would be, you know, what sort of consequences Mm. would you be prepared to live with as a society? Mm. So Min Ong says, I refuse to do so, right? (laughs) And and, and rightly so. So what if I were to say to you that you could choose the consequences that you want to live with as a society? Mm -hmm. And what if I were to tell you that going to the emergency medicine, uh, you know, team, was not the only answer. Mm. What if I were to tell you that um, you could make some changes on your own without the help of a doctor, you know, without all, only taking medication, lifestyle changes, for lifestyle example. Changes, yeah. And I heard you when you mentioned that, you know, you're looking a little bit at your diet and also I know you do a bit of exercise mm. and those are lifestyle changes. It's just, are you willing to do them, mm. right? How can you incorporate it into your life? And mm. a lot of us say we don't have time, right? We don't <laughs> have time because we're, we're parents, because we're, you know, we're professionals, but is it worth your time? Right. So what if I were to say to you that just by taking a little bit of time in your week to look at improving your lifestyle choices, mm. it would make a big difference to you as a person and it would make a big difference as a community right, for the whole system. So if I were to say that, would you want to make those changes? Right. So I think it's um, it's reimagining what the future could look like, mm-hmm. but then being accountable for it too. Except someone yeah. like Hosen uh, in the in the world of primary care is a model pupil, right? <laughs> so you're doing something about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. think you're serious about yeah, that. And course. there are many like you, but there are also equally equal number of people who refuse to do anything. Yeah. Last night, just at the dinner, met with someone who was a heavy drinker. I was just telling him it's not good for you. He's uh, almost 60, I think. Uh, and his reply is, uh, but life is short, life to enjoy life. No, you, you can't get the message through him. I see. You know, so you get a lot of this kind of comments. Mm. People just not want to get not, the message. Mm. I do not believe they don't understand. 
but yeah. they, they don't want to do anything. It's the choice that they've made already in their minds and their hearts, I guess. Like, you know, for for, in, in, for example, when you go to to see, you know, the seniors and all that, a lot of, I'm sure you hear the, ayah, no point, la, what for, right? So how do you deal with all that? Yeah, so I think the silver tsunami for me, the imagery that is portrayed with that, uh, caption uh, is one where there's a wave of seniors who are coming down. But I think for the individual and for the uh, citizen, I think what that means is we will have a senior that we, if we're a young person like me, will be a caregiver to, uh, maybe one or both sets of parents actually. Uh, and I think one part of that is uh, the people that you meet with resistance with a lot of the uh, excuses or ways of rationalizing their uh, negative uh, examples of uh, health behaviors. Uh, these would actually be our family members. And for me, what uh, I believe in is it really starts at home. It starts with the caregivers of these seniors. It, sets, it starts with the people who are closest to them. And I think the mandate is uh, not just to take care of seniors in this sense or to educate them, but also to provide the resources for the caregivers and their family members as well to be able to take care of the seniors in their households. And if the silver tsunami is redistributed, the responsibility to everyone, the citizens included, uh, if we all look out for those around us who are seniors, our family members, our close friends, even the workplace, the uh, auntie, uh, the cleaner that cleans the office, um, uh, I always chat with the auntie and she's always telling me about her health problems, but she's saying like putting off the medical appointments, putting off taking medication. So it's really that journey and that involves rapport, relationship building. And I think that's really a big part of what citizens like us can do. Yes. I'd like to affirm something that Injo and Minong had just said, which is that sometimes you might meet with grumpy old bears who yeah. aren't ready or willing to change. And yeah. it's really difficult to change their minds, but that's okay. The wonderful thing about what we're trying to do is that you don't have to wait for the perfect circumstances to get started. You don't have to wait for every single person to be on board before we say, let's make a change as a society. So we can still change systems. We can still get involved. You can, we can still get started, even if not every single person is on board. Hmm. And who knows, maybe they, they will get on board. <laughs> so we're talking here about this on ground up level. Um, from the government's point of view and, and, and are there processes being put in place um, to, to, to kind of meet us in the middle somewhere? I, I would say, as you put it, it's a ground up effort. Uh, first, what Dr. Jade say, you can't get everyone started. Yeah. Yeah, whoever is ready, get them started. And how do they get started? As Ying Zhou say, uh, often it's about personal relationship. Uh, after a while, they trust you. They know that you care. And since somebody who care for me asked me to do something about it, I'm more likely to listen. Essentially, it's a ground-up effort. And so therefore, when you say, what can government do? I think government can do by supporting the ground. Give them the resources, the support, the rules, the regulations, and, and then they can do their job properly. Well, that brings us to our next hot take. As we grow older, we inevit inevitably become frailer, and we will end up in nursing homes. Is that our future? Nursing homes, um, you know, for at least for younger citizens, they can live their own lives. But as we grow older and, you know, sometimes we are singles, sometimes we don't have children to look after us, do we, will we all end up in nursing homes? Um, are there enough nursing homes in Singapore? Are we ramping that up, Minister? We're doubling the number. We're doubling. From okay. now to 2030. And when I came to MOH and... I asked that same question you just did and I got the answer. That got me worried. Mm. I know we need more nursing homes and mm -hmm. we will 
bill more because there are families who are working and then you have to take care of seniors. Absolutely. They really can't cope. Uh, nursing homes is, are there to help them. But if our solution to aging is more nursing home, I think it's not sustainable. We are doomed to fail. Yeah. It's just like saying when we get older, therefore we need more hospitals and more emergency care and more chronic mm. care. I think mm. we're doomed to fail. At some point, we have to say, let's do the more longer term. Uh, let, let's address it longer term. And that has to be preventative care through primary care. So likewise for aging, it's not, nursing home is not the ultimate solution. The solution is how do you age with agency, you know, in the community, mm. in your own home, but with activities and support around you. And that's yeah. the best way for seniors to remain healthy. For those who are already frail, who families can't take care of them, I think we need to provide nursing homes. But for those who are still in their 70s and still active, still healthy, let's keep it that way. Why not keep it that way? It's possible to keep it that way. So invest in that area instead. Mm -hmm. But then you see sometimes, I mean, at home, the caregiver, for example, it could be the family member, it could be the domestic helper at home, not equipped to take care of, you know, the elderly who, you know, into maybe you have you had come into, you know, meet people like this. What 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 are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I spent two months uh, working in a nursing home a couple of years ago. And I think for me, uh that that really opened my eyes to the idea of quality of life and living. What does it mean to have a life well lived? Uh, which really came down to the question is of would you have seen yourself in, in a nursing home in, mm. in this state of health as well as state of life. I wouldn't uh, wish to be in a nursing home as well myself when I age or uh, as much as possible delay needing to be sent to a nursing home with the professionalized uh, level of care uh, for the high needs that the seniors have. Uh, and I think on ground in the community as well, similarly people may be feeling that way, but ultimately, as you mentioned, it is still the uh, context of the caregivers in which they have to eventually decide to send them to uh, the nursing home. So I think a big part of that conversation involves how do we delay frailty enough not to require to be sent to a nursing home. And on the other side, from government standpoint, is also then to equip and provide the resources for assisted living or living in place, uh, aging in community. Uh, but as an interim, how do you encourage seniors to find their place in community, find their tribe, find the activities and routines that they're able to do with the access that's provided in specially designed uh, community care apartments uh, with also the specialized resources of medical uh, care that are cited within. So that's really what I'm looking forward to in the Healthier SG as well, the infrastructural and policy developmental change uh, that will really assist uh, someone to have more options when they think of care. So how far are we down the line with that? Setting all this up right now, Minister? For someone who are senior, your biggest enemy is loneliness. Mm. Loneliness will mm. drive your health to deteriorate in a very fast pace. Mm. And therefore, we must build the social infrastructure to help them stay active and to have friends, to have love, to have relationship, to have friendships. And actually, when I move around Europe and look at their models, they try their best to do it. But actually, their communities are not built to do it. I just visited Manchester mm. because they have a good program there. But when I look at their residential areas, well, not easy. When I look at ours, hey, we have built it right. Mm. Maybe for a different purpose. But today you can see every HDB precinct that is void deck, 
there is playground, there are coffee shops, there is somewhere there will be a hawker center and there will be a park. Mm. All these are precious common areas that we can, can activate. Yeah. yeah, we mm. can activate mm. and, and encourage active aging. Mm -mm. Yeah, which is why for the active aging centers, outreach becomes so important. Right. I think especially after COVID, there are many seniors who say, oh, don't dare to go out, uh, mm -mm. uh, outside got mm -mm. Uh, COVID. Uh, last time, Minister for Health say, don't go out. <laughs> but COVID crisis is over. Yeah, it, it, It's time yeah. to get out, make mm. friends, you know, because that will keep you healthy. So I'd like to add something, which is when we say that we become frailer and we end up in nursing homes, there seems to be a little bit of stigma around mm. nursing homes. And I wonder if it could be different if we could remove that stigma such that nursing homes were not just utilitarian dumping grounds, dumping you know, ground, yeah. but rather somewhere you go to if you if you have to, if you want to, if it suits your needs. Mm. Um, and nursing homes can also be, if you look at the public hospitals, for example, they're, they're beautiful now. You know, there's a beautiful pond at KK Hospital. There's, uh, there are so many trees in Kutik Pot. Mm. The up and coming Woodlands Health also has got so many rehab gardens. It's, it's it's a beautiful place. And so nursing homes perhaps could also be, you know, built, and I'm sure that they will be, um, to be more oh, than they just are already utilitarian. Not yeah. Too bad. They are yeah. Already. So it's um if you have to go there, if you choose to go there, it's a good mm -hmm. choice. Mm -hmm. However, we have other choices as well. For example, to to age in place at home. And to do that, we equip them, we educate our caregivers so that they can do what they have to do if someone at home becomes frail, you know. Mm -hmm. And until the point when they have to go to a nursing home, then it's still a good option. I think um, there can be a lot to be done to remove many stigmas in aging. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I'm sure that we can do that. So I just want to say that when I was traveling in Australia, in Sydney, I realized, I noticed a lot of communities that have been built for 55 years and above. It's quite interesting. They're not elderly. They're our generation. And in this community, you have you buy a house and you've got healthcare available, a supermarket. And it's very interesting. I thought, you know, it's not elderly care. It's not, you know, it's a, yeah, it's a community, I think. And it's quite interesting to think about yeah, as they, well. They have a system of more like retirement villages. Not but different, different like, from nursing homes. Right, yeah. So, so it's a community. Yeah. So you live there and I think it's uh, quite wise to choose 55 and above <laughs> because not everyone is old. Yeah, yeah exactly. you've been living with people like us, you know. Yeah. Two years we qualify. But we can, I, cannot, yeah. I, cannot, I, cannot, I cannot retire. Yeah. So so you you get you get a, a community and people yeah. looking after each other. I suppose they also have the land. They have the land, yeah. exactly. So in Singapore, we try to do some of this. Uh, we call it the com community care apartments. HDB is doing that. There are two pilot projects. And then we have a private operated one that has just been tended out at Perry Avenue. So we can have some of that. And we also have the Kampong Emroti kind of concept where it's also more Kampong-like, uh, where there's a community. But I think that's not enough. That's from, from nursing homes to living in your own homes and in between you got CCAs and uh, community care apartments and others. We need a whole range to cater to different kinds of seniors. I think we need to also have a look at how we look at being older, getting older. So I think it's a shift in mindset and maybe, you know, Dr. Jade can tell us a bit about how, how do we shift this mindset as a, as a coach? How do, you, how do you, you know, approach someone? Well, first of all, I feel that aging is a process. Um, you can put a hard number for administrative reasons when someone is considered elderly, but it's really just part of our lives. 
you know. And so we're constantly growing, we're constantly evolving. I think it would be foolish to think that, you know, we reach our peak at only a certain time and mm. after that, it's all downhill from there, you know. So <laughs> I, I feel that it's much healthier for everybody just to acknowledge, you know, that this is a part of our lives. Um, we, it's part of a transition that we all go through. And so when we say, you know, what is the government doing about the aging population, for example? I mean, it's not just the aging population, it's the whole population, right? We're all invested. It's not just one moment you're, you're young and the next moment you're old. <laughs> and then there's like, what sorts of things are there? So um, hopefully that answers your question. Along the way also, there's so many things that are really helpful. For example, many people are very worried about um, dementia when you become old. Mm -hmm. But did you know that just by exposing yourself to more green, that can actually retard the progression of dementia? There have been, oh. been so many studies that have been conducted that show that just being amongst the green, and there's so much green all over in Singapore, can help to retard the progression of dementia. Um, doing more group activities, hanging out with friends, doing activities like choral singing, you know, gardening, like these are all really, really helpful. And these are not things you suddenly take up when you're like 78 years old. <laughs> these are things you can do as a family yeah. from before. So I feel like if we look at this as part of our lives, rather than just, you know, something that happens at one particular point, and then all the, all the ammunition has to come out for that target population, then I think we'll probably, probably be more successful as a cohort. Not to forget, there's also high correlation between diabetes and dementia. Yes, yeah. that's right. That's and right. So therefore, you control your blood sugar, eat a better diet, exercise. You actually can do something about your chances of getting dementia. Yes. So we're we're looking forward to aging well. We're looking forward to doing this together. It's not something that we dread. It's not mm. forever trying to celebrate your 18th birthday. You know, <laughs> it's just you know this is life. 28, 28. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Well, that brings us to our next hot take. If the government does more for our senior population, solve our problems. Does that work? I think government doing more, the state doing more is necessary but insufficient. Yeah. I in, mean, the, yeah. in the end, you look at COVID. When, when I walk on the streets today, many people do come out to, to me and say, government did well mm -hmm. to help us address COVID. I say, no, government did only one part. Our policy was right you know, to try to vaccinate everyone, but everyone did your part mm. to get the vaccination or enough, nine out of 10 uh, Singaporeans did that or whoever lived in Singapore did that. Without that level of participation, we'll, we'll suffer a lot more for COVID. We'll probably mm. still be out of it by now, but with a much higher, much higher rate, of, yeah, yeah. rate of infection as well mm. as mortality. So in the end, it's always about government people, social sector, all working together. I think government doing its part to support the ground more and then the ground doing its part to execute the plans and doing your outreach, persuading people, um, getting people to form social circles and then individual knowing that they have the agency to do something about it and exercising that agency. Mm. Then I think we can do something about the problem. Because I think the government has already put in place like healthier SG, for example, and we've got active SG. Um, uh, the gyms everywhere in Singapore that you need to pay $3 to go in and work out if you want to. Um, is there anything more that, that the government is doing on top of all this? Those in the AACs are free. You don't ah, have to. Okay. Yeah, you do weights in the AACs and uh, it's very I, I popular among some seniors. <laughs> yeah, that one is actually free. You don't okay. have to pay $3. Um, I think for me, AAC is a 
is a fantastic social infrastructure. Mm. We are expanding it. Okay. Expanding it faster than we expand nursing homes. Yeah. Good. Ought to. Um, but I think what is lacking is the outreach, as Joe mentioned. Yeah. Because you can fill up your AACs. And we do fill up our AACs with all kinds of activities. But every day you see the same people coming, right? At some point, you have to mm. feel, you have to acknowledge for everyone that come and use our services and listen to our advice. Five more or nine more is upstairs in their own room saying that, oh, besides Chukia, so, cannot so go out. What do you think yeah. is that problem? Why, why aren't they? They know about it, right? Obviously. They, they are lonely. And they don't want to come down? And when you're lonely, you like to stay alone. Hmm. So you do need people to knock on the doors, make friends. And over time, they feel that this person care for me and he's asking me, please go downstairs. Hmm. And we have activities. We have free meals. Hmm. We have cooking, communal dining <laughs> together. We can all go to the market and buy food and then we, we cook you know, together. And when you can have that kind of communal, uh, uh, that social circle to do something together, we have a good chance to bring them out of their homes. And we have a few AACs that, that are actually quite successful in doing that. So now question is, how can we make this just like coffee shops, yeah. which is all yeah. over Singapore, can we make such AACs ubiquitous all over Singapore? And that's a social infrastructure. So you ask me mm. what government will do about it. I think beyond healthier SG, we need a specific program for the agent. Yeah. And and how difficult is it, Yinto? Because you knock on doors, yeah. right? And what is your magic spell that you can get them out of the house? What do you say? What do you do? There's a big part of the government involvement in the social planning and the mandate for spaces and infrastructures, mm. uh, including having social nodes in community where it's places where people can convene, uh, whether it's a coffee shop, it's a hawker center, it's a library, or even a space like a void deck or a pavilion uh, or um, table tennis table. Uh, all these are planned for by the government. So I think what needs to come in from the ground would be the programming aspect. And I think that's what we do on a day-to-day -day basis. Thinking about the population of seniors that we serve, what programs would they be interested to mm. come in? Uh, and the role of uh, AACs as well as staff at AACs is really to think out of the box beyond just preaching to the choir. As Min said, right, if the same people are coming for the programs all the time, uh, you're going to be engaging, uh, hitting engagement numbers. But in reality, the people who actually need the services and engagement uh, will still be at home. Yeah. Uh, I think one part of the population we do see who have a life of their own. So they have grandchildren, they go there every week to take care of them. They have friends, they travel, uh, and they are really meaningfully engage uh, personally and we encourage them to continue to do so and have this uh, uh, maintenance of social uh, behaviors but it is really the fraction that would not be engaged at all or prefer uh, to keep to themselves mm. so one part that we see is uh, the part on identity I think for Singaporeans being in Singapore where you work uh, in the same company for many of the seniors for decades and then the point of retirement yeah. and the next day suddenly you don't have to report to work. Mm. The, the, the routine that you've been taking for the past 20, 30 years, it is a big contrast. It's kind of like for some of them, they describe it as it's like jumping off a cliff without a parachute. The, yeah. the sensation of free falling into oblivion. I don't know what I'm going to do when I retire, but I have to retire anyway. Uh, and I think that's the big part of what we do when we door knock. Uh, ah, what do you like to do? Okay. If, you, if you organize this, will you come down? Uh, and I think the other part is about trust building and that takes a lot, a lot yeah. of time. 
and social capital. Can I ask what activities in your experience is the most popular among seniors? In, in, in post-COVID, I think a lot of outings and events are coming back. Mm. Uh, I think one common factor is the ability to experience new things. New experiences is always fun. Uh, for example, uh, recently we brought seniors to try the Republic Poly's uh, high elements course. Our older senior was 81 years old. And he said like, you know, at this age, nobody would allow me to go up the rope on, on the high <laughs> elements. But thanks to you, you, got, you, you, you gave me the opportunity and he was willing to do it, mm. even though it's something he, he had never got the opportunity to try before. Uh, we have an issue also with uh, male rates of participations. Right uh, in senior activity centers, most of participants would be females, yeah. uh, and we see that correlating the identity factor of work as well. Yeah, I think I agree with you because you know when my dad retired at fifty-five back then, and then suddenly you realize you've got a long time of nothing to do when you retire at fifty-five. You know, back in the day, until now he's eighty. Um, so it was good that he had you know. Uh, child care centre, we started a before after school care centre, active for children and stuff like that. But, you know, Jake, can I ask you then, how would you change the mindset of someone who goes, nah, done already, done with life, you know, 55, retire, nothing to do, but then you live longer, you live to your 80 something, right? So between that, it's 30 years of nothingness, but how do you encourage people like that? Well, maybe we could ask them what their best hope for their future would be. What would they like to see instead, right? Um, and you might be surprised because we always ask the government to solve our problems by putting up more trees and building more centers and stuff like that. But, you know, what actually is the problem? If the problem is isolation, loneliness, you can build those centers and you can put up all those trees. You can even have formal programs for them. But who's going to make them go? Yeah. Or who's going to accompany them? Mm. It might be their family, their caregivers, mm. they might have to decide they want to do this themselves. themselves yeah. So asking them to imagine what their best hope for their future might be could be a good way to get started. I think sometimes we focus a lot on fear. You know, if you don't do this, that's going to happen. And that can be a little <laughs> uh, discouraging. Yes, for sure, right? <laughs> yeah. So Min Ong, looking down, if you had a crystal ball, right, and you're looking into the future of Singapore, is there hope for, for this aging population? Do, do we have something to look forward to in terms of a community, in terms of being able to, you know, to live comfortably into well into our old age? There is always hope. Um, what is inevitable is aging. Um, you can't discard your health, be very sick and expect the hospital to repair you. Yeah. It's never the same. Even a car after repair is never the same. Right. And the body is even more complex and it will never be the same. So um, do preventive care from a very young age. So back to your question, mm -hmm. uh, is it a hopeful future? <laughs> I think it can be. Can be. It certainly can be. This is like dealing with COVID, but spread out over 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> right? Whereas we have yeah. to deal with COVID in a short two, three years. But the steps are fairly similar. I think it's also recognizing, Minong, that um, as you say, that um, it's going to be over sometime. We have, uh, you know, we have a lot to look forward to. It's also recognizing that good health isn't just being disease-free, mm -hmm. you know. So that helps to, to them to take stock of what their 
their imagination of their good health might look like. That it's not just being disease-free. There's also social health. We've mentioned uh, how to get over loneliness and isolation, for example. But it might be something else that's bothering them. The person who has stopped working and now has years yawning ahead of them. Maybe it's financial health that's bothering them, but they don't want to say it. Mm. Maybe there's something else that is missing in their lives. So I think encouraging uh, the elderly to talk also about what's bothering them uh, could be helpful because mm. all these are different pillars of health too. You do wellness, but to uh, a lot of people when they think about wellness, it means going to a resort, do meditation, attend yoga classes, or cost <laughs> a lot of money. Does wellness need to be expensive? It does not have to be expensive and it doesn't have to be something special you only do once every 10 years. So you're absolutely right. I think when people found out that I was a wellness coach, they thought that this was something that have to, you know, save for 30 years to go to a fancy spa in Austria to be able to achieve that peak of wellness. But in fact, I believe that wellness can be in your everyday. Uh, it should be practical mindfulness that we're practicing. Um, and it can be simple gestures. It can be getting enough rest, mm. getting good sleep, um, maintaining good relationships with your family. You know, this is part of wellness as well. It could be small steps to be able to make your future better. So it doesn't have to be uh, huge and expensive and frightening. It can, it can just start with a small step that you're ready to take. As long as you're ready and willing, we can coach you towards it. In fact, cut down smoking, cut down alcohol, <laughs> take less sugar, you save money. <laughs> Indeed, absolutely. Yeah, I spent all my money on essential oils. <laughs> <laughs> that was wonderful to be able to share all this with us, um, but it's time to come to the end of the episode. Um, thank you so much, my guests, Min Ong, Dr. Jade Kwa, and Ying Zhou for sharing and also bringing us on this journey of what aging in Singapore could look like. Well, this is the final episode of Red Dot Hot Takes and it's been wonderful sharing with all our ministers and our guests about the six pillars of the Forward SG exercise. If you have any comments or questions, please click on the link and uh, we will do our best to get back to you. In the meantime, I'm Hosan Leong. Take care and keep well. 